0: And so the the message today coming, this is Pentecost, today is the day of Pentecost, we're remembering the time when you had the 120 there in the upper room, and I'm I'm thinking about those 120, and the fact that we know the names of, of the ones who were there, we know the names of maybe 15, 16 of them, uh, that we know automatically, but there were 120 that were there. And so when you think, and, and maybe if I actually start counting and knowing who all was there, maybe I might up that number a little bit and say, okay, we might might know the names of 20, but that still leaves us with 100 names of people that were in the fellowship on the day of Pentecost that we don't know, but they knew each other, and the apostles knew them. And so uh, last week, we were meeting with King Oaks Fellowship with Darren Ely and his family down in in Texas, and uh, I had one of those moments that was just super encouraging. We were getting ready for the service, and I look up, and I see... Nicholas Cowley just walked in with his wife and his family. So years ago, I mean, 15 years ago, maybe we were both single young men, both praying and looking for a spouse and we would just come hang out together. And, um, so we had both tried different things about, can I marry this person? Can I marry? You? And we just hadn't quite, quite made it. And so now today, when we were last week, when we, when he came in there and we've met since we were bachelors, we, but, uh, he walks in with his wife Stacy and their five children and I'm there with my wife Stacy and our five children. So it was, it was kinda cool to, we were just discussing the times when we were back there needing a wife, needing something and how, and so I was just super encouraged by that brief interaction with Nicholas and I, and I thought this actually is what um, fellowship is. It's, it is this, what happens here on a Sunday, but it is also what, what happens during the week when you brush shoulders with other believers and there's sometimes a season where you spend a lot of time with one believer and then, then that will, you'll separate out for a season, but when you see each other, it is still encouraging. And, and, and a huge part of how fellowship works has to do with our own hearts. And so I thought about, as, as I was looking to, at today's message and I just called it the heart of Pentecost. And there is a certain responsibility that each of us has for our own hearts and how our hearts respond and prepare. Uh, You know, there are times when our heart, uh, you know, Hollywood says follow your heart, but when you look at scripture, you say, well, the only way it's ever safe to follow your heart is if you first uh, basically crucify it and disciple it and and lead your heart. You have, to, you have to tell your heart where to go because the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And so we're dealing with a very, very slippery thing that, that interacts with our ego, that interacts with our identity. And so our hearts can either make ourselves, uh, basically vilify ourselves where we feel like we're nothing, or they can boost ourselves up where we think we are the, the real stuff. And so we really need this We really need to be aware of what's happening in our heart because what is in our heart is going to flow out of us. And so when we, you know, in, in, in Western Christianity, we have long used the phrase asking Jesus into our heart. And part of it, there's one reference over in Ephesians that kind of uses this terminology, but I think because it's not really in the Bible that way, because in in the Bible, it's more of like, here's the king. What are you going to do? Are you going to submit to him or are you going to be stubborn and go your own way? And it's not so much about asking Jesus into our heart, but the reality of it is, is that we're asking Christ to redeem every part of us. And there's a lot of talk in the Bible about our hearts and, and that we need a new heart. And so we understand that much of what we do in life flows from our innermost being or what we would call our heart. And so we, we need Jesus in our heart. We know that, and so there, that's, a, that's a, something we know and recognize, and so we started using that phrase, and now it's just, we, we quote it as if it was Bible, and it's not truly in the Bible that way, but the need in our heart for Jesus is definitely there, and it is in the Bible. And so in, when it comes to fellowship, um, it, on a personal note, There are seasons and times when I've been in different places or with different groups where I see someone and I think, is there anyone else anywhere around here that I could talk to so I don't have to talk to that person? And that is a warning sign that there is something going on in my heart. Now, there might be some problem in their heart too, right? But I am not in charge of their heart. I'm in charge of this one. And so when I start realizing that I am somewhere and I'm going, okay, they're over there, so I'm going to stay over here. And I'm thinking, okay, what do I need to do different? How do I change this? What do I do so that I'm not, because what I'm literally doing is there's a person who loves Jesus. I'm over here. I love Jesus, but I sure don't love them. Uh, and maybe I'm not saying it out loud like that, but I'm, I'm having, uh, I'm having trouble with my heart in interacting with someone else. And so I'm saying, I'm prefacing all of this because I want to suggest to us that as we look at Pharaoh's heart, there is a certain level of Pharaoh in all of us where God is doing something, but we are doing something and we would rather do what we're doing than what God's doing. And so along with Pharaoh, we find our hearts being hardened. And so I wanted to, what we're actually going to do today, starting in Exodus, um, I just want to go through here and notice during the time of the plagues uh, all these references to the heart of Pharaoh and what he is saying. So we have um, in chapter, so I'm, I'm going to be starting in chapter 3, Exodus 3. We're going to read through various verses. Exodus 3, reading in verse 19. This is right at the Moses at the burning bush, and God is speaking to Moses, and in verse 19 he says, "But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go." And so then he gives some more instruction. So this is at the very beginning of this conversation, God is saying, Moses, I'm sending you with this message, but Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. And so at this point, uh, we could go into this discussion about, uh, because you will see here in a minute that sometimes it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, and sometimes it just says Pharaoh's heart was hardened, as if by some other force. Um... And so is God speaking to Moses out of foreknowledge or is he speaking uh, because He is ordaining the hardness of the heart? So this is just a question I'm throwing out there because this, we could go deep into that discussion and say, what did, what did God do here? So what we discover is that God is warning Moses because if Moses wasn't warned, and even as he's warned, he is still wanting to despair when someone, when he sees Pharaoh hardening his heart because Moses is affected when Pharaoh hardens his heart. Now, this is, you know, Egypt is not a picture of the church, it's a picture of the world. But in the world, in the the world that we live in, if anyone hardens their heart against God, it actually does impact the rest of us. And so uh, you know we get the Voice of the Martyrs magazine and every so often they will run stories, actually almost every magazine, about somebody who's, who's facing either severe persecution or death because of their faith. And so that, that is an example, every time you have someone who is, is, is being killed for their faith, that means somebody else is completely hardening their heart against God. And so there is a, in the world, there is this reality that when somebody hardens their heart against God, it impacts the children of God, it impacts us. But if we come into the church and say, well, what happens in the church, in the Christian fellowship, what happens if we harden our hearts within the fellowship? A lot of times the way we harden our hearts in the fellowship will not look the same as someone hardening their heart in the world so we will not be denying the existence of god we will not be peddling a completely false narrative or a completely false agenda we will have bible mixed in with what we're doing but somewhere in our hearts as we're interacting with each other there can be a certain hardness of heart that basically is saying i'd rather not do things the way god wants to do them i'd rather do them my way and so when it comes to fellowship I have found many, many times that my heart will be hard towards other people. And sometimes, sometimes I am legitimately tired and exhausted and just want to go sleep and I don't want to interact with anyone. But even in that time, God can still use me to actually minister to someone else. But just my level of comfort or discomfort is not the indicator on whether or not I should have fellowship with other Christians. And so I have a few scenarios in my life that I still don't fully understand. How how can fellowship be restored between me and someone else? Because it seems as if it is just completely frozen and locked up. But there is a possibility that if I soften my heart toward God, that he will be able to work this miracle. And so as we read through this, I want you to notice just the the theme that's here that is just, seems like over and over and over again. And after a while, you're like, come on, really, again? And yet, this is what happens to us. I, I know that for myself, there are things that I've hardened my heart to, and I don't want to have a hard heart toward God. I don't want to have a hard heart towards God's people. I don't want to have a hard heart toward the will of the Lord and the work that He's doing in my life. I want to be able to do it. So first, we start with Moses saying uh, to God, saying to Moses, "I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, He will let you go." Now, if you go over to to Exodus chapter four. Um, down in verse 21, this is when Moses is on his way to go to Egypt. And as he's on his way to go to Egypt, he takes his wife and he's headed out. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see, this is verse 21, uh, Exodus 4:21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I've put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So right here, God is saying, I'm going to harden his heart so he won't do it. So this is the beginning. So we go over to um, chapter 5, Exodus chapter 5, and there in verse 2, this is, uh, well, let's start in verse 1. Exodus uh, Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But then... In verse 4, the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And so then we have this long thing here where Pharaoh starts making it harder on them. And down in verse 17, he says... Pharaoh says, you are idle, idle, therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now he just said it outright in this, in this chapter saying, I don't care what God, who God is. I don't love him. I don't care anything about him. So why would I let you go worship this God? Verse 22, it says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So Moses is feeling the hardness of Pharaoh's heart is real. He kind of suspected this. He was warned about it, but now he's feeling it and it's very real. But then in verse one of chapter six, Exodus six, verse one, the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And so then he goes through that whole time and he's saying, I'm going, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. You are going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. But they go in and, and again, God tells him, go, go tell. And so down in verse 13, God tells Moses and Aaron, go speak. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so then there's the the moment of the genealogies here. Then down in Exodus chapter seven, verse one, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron, your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and Aaron, your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So God is being very transparent in this moment. He says, I'm gonna harden his heart and I'm gonna multiply my signs and wonders. There's something I want to do, so I'm hardening his heart. So then we come down. To verse 4, and and, uh, chapter 7, verse 4, Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then we go down to... um, Verse 10, chapter 7, verse 10, Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh. They did so, just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt. They also did like manner with their enchantments. But every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. And so then he sends them to talk about the water becoming blood. And after that, it says in verse 22, then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So then comes the second plague of the frogs. And down in verse 8, says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Let it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall depart from you and from your houses, from your servants, from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And so then Moses goes and prays. And in verse 15, it says, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. And down in verse 19 is the end of the plague of lice. So lice everywhere. And then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. I find this fascinating. They can't do lice. Like, they can do a lot of stuff, but they can't do lice. And I'm like, I'm not a magician. I don't understand what exactly they were doing. Like, was it sleight of hand? Was it actually demonic interaction? But they can't do lice. And so they get to the lice, and they say, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. Then we go to the plague of flies. And down in verse... So there's this, this whole conversation where Pharaoh is calling for Moses and Aaron saying, why don't you just go go sacrifice to God? And, um, and, and so they're having this conversation. Pharaoh is trying to figure out how much does he have to actually give in to what Moses is saying versus just barely. So like, can they just build an altar here and do that? Or do they really have to all leave? And so they're having this whole conversation and Moses says, I need... And so down, um, Moses leaves from Pharaoh and treats the Lord. The Lord does according to the word of Moses. The flies are gone. And verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Then we go to the livestock that gets diseased and sick. And it's when, once that is done, then verse 7 says, Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So that's in chapter nine. And so then we go to the plague of the boils. Now there's all the boils. The magicians could not even stand before Moses because of the boils. So they're having a bad case of it. In verse 12, it says, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Seventh plague, we've got hail everywhere. And, and, and so then he again calls, he's afraid, and he's like, come. And, and like he's, he's, he's Pharaoh sounds like he's gonna give in, Uh, but in verse 34, chapter 9, 34, when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Then we get to the plague of locusts. And it's interesting because in the plague of the locusts, as all of this is going and they eat everything up and down in verse 16, Moses, uh, Pharaoh called from Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take from me this death only. It's a strange thing. I don't understand what's going on in Pharaoh's heart. So he's like, all these other things. He's not asking forgiveness for those, but he's saying, can you forgive me for this one thing? I have one problem here. If you just forgive me for that. And so, anyway, they go out. They pray. Um, the west wind comes, blows the locusts away. In verse 20, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Then we have the darkness, the ninth plague. In verse 27, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then the death of the firstborn is announced, And again, the Lord says to Moses, down in verse nine, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you so that by my wonders, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. And then we go into the whole Passover is being set up here. Um, The the, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn is being introduced. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. They're getting it all set up. And we go through several chapters of explaining that, but we finally get down to the Red Sea where they are actually leaving. And and so now, you know, the firstborn has died and and the Passover has been been instituted. They're leaving out by the wilderness way. They get out to the Red Sea Uh, in chapter Exodus 14, verse 3. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered. By the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then, the Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, and that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And so it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, took his people with him, took 600 choice chariots, all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Verse eight, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with boldness. And so the Egyptians are pursuing them. Uh, they get down to that moment where finally uh, Moses is trying to speak to the people, don't be afraid, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, see what he's going to do. And verse 17, the Lord is speaking to Moses again. He says, I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. And then we drop down. So the whole thing happens where the Egyptians pursue into the middle of the sea. The water crashes back down. When Moses tells, uh, Lord tells Moses to stretch out his hand, the waters crash back down. Verse 27, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 30, it says, so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So we have several things that are happening here. What we've seen, we have the children of God. They're in this country and it, at the beginning of the account, it says a Pharaoh had arisen. They did not know Joseph. So the Pharaohs that knew Joseph also were familiar with the God of Joseph. And so while Joseph was alive and his, they would honor the God of Joseph and what is now we are several generations down, they do not know God or love him. They don't want to even, they don't even care. They don't want to respect God in any way. And so we have a people of God living in the middle of a very, very, um, I want to say pagan, but it was, was, they, they had a lot of gods. So they were worshiping a lot of gods, very similar to Rome in the first century when Christianity was first coming around. Um, and so there is a there's something happening, and I think about the the children of Israel in Egypt, and I think about those 120 in the upper room at Pentecost, and when they are released and they're sent out, there's a certain amount of what God is is doing, and 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 God is at work in both instances. But there is a question that came to me as I was reading it: Is the children of Israel are really needing a lot from God? during this time. They're needing to see a mighty hand. They're needing to see a mighty deliverance. But they're not seeing it unless Pharaoh completely hardens his heart. There is a question that we could go into is like, should the children of Israel have been interacting in a better way with the people of the land? Could they have had a better witness that could have somehow rescued them? I don't know, but I do know this, a couple hundred years later, some quite some time later, really, we're on the brink of, the, the God has been speaking to the children of Israel, going, look, you've got your temple here, but you're doing all of these other abominations. You're worshiping all of these other gods. Why are you not worshiping the living God? And Ezekiel, if you read through the first couple chapters of Ezekiel, you will discover that God takes the Spirit, by the Spirit he takes Ezekiel into a And shows him all of the hardness that's in the land. And as he's taking him into all these places, it comes to the point in Ezekiel chapter 11, where he's talking to them, and he's trying, well, it starts in chapter 9, chapter 10, the glory is departing from the temple, and he's saying, is there anyone in Israel that has a heart that's right? And finally, God says, by the Spirit, he speaks to Ezekiel, and he's speaking about a time to come, Ezekiel 11, verse 19, then I will give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire for their detestable things and their abominations, I'll recompense their deeds from their own heads, says the Lord God. It seems that the abominations of Egypt had come up for judgment before the Lord. And so he was saying, I not only gave them time, but I sent them the Hebrews to be in their midst. I sent them Joseph to be in their midst. I, sent, I showed them mercy when all the other nations were starving because of the famines, I protected Egypt. I put my hand of protection on Egypt and I saved them and they were actually the ones that were saving everyone else. And I gave them all of this. But now when Pharaoh, when Moses comes and speaks to them about God, they say, I don't know who God is and I don't actually care. And so there is a hardness of heart that is in Egypt. That's been there for a while. But now we come back up here to Ezekiel's time frame, and the same hardness of heart is in the very children of Israel that should be recounting and saying, Do you remember what the Lord has done? Do you see what he has done? Do you see what he has done? Do you see what he's done? And so then we move all the way forward to the day of Pentecost when actually it is happening because Peter preaches and he says, basically, he's explaining how anyone that will come to them and, and If you think of the 120, the day of Pentecost, they were not hardening their hearts toward God. They were not hardening, they were not seeking other gods. They were together, you might say that they were both in fear of man and in fear of God, but by this time they'd already spoken to Jesus, they'd seen him, the ascension, and they're waiting, and they're waiting for that Holy Spirit to come. And now the Holy Spirit has come and poured out upon them, and they have a a one heart, And we see it just explode there out of Jerusalem into all the early parts of the world. In fact, Western um, historians, Western Christianity, we don't know the half of what actually happened in those first couple centuries. We know what happened on our side. Um, We know specifically kind of everything that happened uh, through what then became the um, the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of our history, what we know about today, we know this half of it. But there were 120 people in there, people that we don't know their names, and they didn't all stay in Jerusalem. They went everywhere, taking what were they doing? They were sp- taking this message that there is a God in heaven who will take out of us our heart of stone and will give us a new heart. They were taking the message that we can come and we can be right with God. And so when you think of the children of Israel, it is a it is a tedious journey out of Egypt because of all the different plagues that keep coming and Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart, but then it's a very tedious journey through the wilderness and into the promised land and then the people keep turning from God over and over and over again and their hearts keep being hardened and they're not getting it. And Ezekiel says, There's coming, there, I'm, I'm going to give them one heart. I'm going to put a new spirit within them. I'm going to take out the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And so for me today, as I'm standing here as a believer, and it's been 2,000 years since Christ was on earth, and we have a lot of ideas out there where people are trying to stop the simple preaching of the gospel by adding so much doubt and so many questions. And then for us as Americans, we have so much going on in our lives that just purely out of uh, not even that we're deciding to have a hard heart, it's just because of busyness and other things. Our hearts can become very hard toward the Father, toward the world, toward the church, toward the fellowship. And so this is where I find myself, is when the church, the early church, let's just turn over to Acts, and, and I'll read that the verse here um, that was the result of what happened on the day of Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, we have the, 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 the preaching, we have the, everything that God is actually doing. But then we have what happens as the church is growing. Acts 2, verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so part of what's going on here with the apostles' doctrine, they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about the, the prophets and everything that happened here. You have fellowship, they're coming together for this, there's breaking of bread, and there's prayer. And so when I find myself either disinterested in the scriptures and what God is speaking when I find myself disinterested in fellowship, when I find myself disinterested in the breaking of bread or in prayer, any one of these things can be to me a a singling out to me that there is a hardness of heart in me. And so, When I think of Pentecost and I think about the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out on his church so that we can have one heart, so that we don't all have to wait until God comes with a mighty hand and does some huge miraculous thing before we say, oh, God is the Lord. No, we can each individually approach the Lord, but... In our own prayer life, we can each individually be reading the word of God. We can do this together as a fellowship and we can grow into this and our hearts can be softened to God and to the Lord. And so as we celebrate Pentecost and we think about the day of Pentecost and I think about what was happening and how God was working with the stubborn people of Egypt and then the stubborn people of the Hebrews, and then we look at how he's dealing with us. We also are a stubborn people, and yet he was so merciful and kind to us that not only did he send Christ to die on the cross for us, but then he sends the Holy Spirit to us so that our hearts can be changed and made new where we don't have the old heart of stone. We don't have the old heart of flesh. We don't have, have to be continually seeking our own, but we can be continually, for the rest of our lives, seeking him, seeking Christ, seeking to know the Father, walking with him, and allowing him to walk with us. And I think if there's anything, as I've considered our fellowship one with each other, our fellowship within the community, uh, even the relationship of the church and government that's happening not only in our country, but in many other uh, nations, there's a lot of challenges that are afoot and always have been. Honestly, there's been always been a, the, the, the powers of this world fighting against the powers of God. One of the primary things that is mine, it, because I cannot change someone else's heart, but I can soften my own heart and I can pursue God for myself. And so when I read this and I just see Pharaoh hardening his heart, I see God touching Pharaoh's heart to keep it hardened. I, I see that when, when Pharaoh seems to be wavering, God says, No, I'm going to give you the full measure of my judgment. So you stay where you are. And then Pharaoh hardens his heart again, and the people harden their heart. And eventually, the full judgment comes upon them. And I'm just thinking, we have a merciful God. We see it all through Scripture. God is long suffering, He is patient, He is kind. He is not lightly touching Pharaoh's heart to harden it. To him, it's not a woohoo, let's do this, but it's it's a heavy thing to bring judgment on a people and so when I think of us as a nation, I think of us as a church, I actually care more for us, as a, for the church of Jesus Christ than, I'm, than I do about the nations. Nations come and go, but the Christ body, we are here for eternity and I want us to be alive. I don't want us to be sickly and dying. I want us to be full of strength in power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we think about Pentecost, it is, the, it is not just you know, you take Peter, it's not just saying, yes, you are now my children, you're coming to heaven, but it was really saying, you're my children and I'm sending you into the world. And I'm gonna, you're gonna go with new hearts. You're gonna be channels of my Holy Spirit. Peter gets up and he preaches and everyone hears his voice and hears and understands what he's saying in his powerful moment. But I think the, when Paul later is penning through going, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and he goes through that whole thing, that is a powerful force that has actually continued throughout the churches into all the nations, and it hasn't stopped. And it's not just a one-day thing, but it is a, it is a it is the power of the gospel, it's the power of the cross, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going out into all the world. And so even as people are facing death for their faith. When you think of what happens in North Korea or China to a Christian, how much time they can spend in prison, how, uh, and you look at over the, the, the 2,000 years of church history, we haven't been inhibited by country uh, lines. And, you know, people have fought against the Bible, against the gospel, but it has continued. And it's not continued because. God was like, okay, I'm going to do mighty, mighty miracles and show everyone, like the Red Sea crossing. It continued because God is doing works in our heart, and our hearts are being transformed and being made new, and, being, and, and, and through that, the miracles of the church have been happening. And so we've had 2,000 years of God working through the heart, changing hearts in people's lives, and pouring out his Holy Spirit upon us, and changing us so that we were walking in the flesh, loving the flesh, and suddenly we come to Christ and now we're walking in the spirit. We're no longer walking in the flesh. And so this is, I think, for me, one of the huge challenges of my life has always been that when I start pushing in and pressing into God, it is a beautiful, sweet time. And, and because I'm pressing into God, He will reveal something that I should be doing, that is part of what His calling is for me. And in the fulfilling of that calling, I will sometimes forget to press in to hear His heart, to know what He's doing. And so I'll, become, I'll be wandering away from God a little bit, not because I'm choosing to leave Him, but because I'm busy. And then something will happen. Either I'm confused as to how to fulfill my mission or maybe it doesn't turn out the way I thought it would or uh, sometimes grief comes into our life. Things happen and suddenly I'm back seeking the Lord and I'm seeking his heart again and then it's beautiful, and I love the unity that comes to my wife and I when we are seeking the Lord together. I love the unity that comes when we as a body are seeking the Lord together, and so then something will come out of that, and we will start doing something, and as we start doing that, again, the busyness will just slowly, I'll drift away where I'm not pursuing the Lord with my whole heart and I want to do that, and that's where I want to live, is in that place where I'm quick to seek the Lord, quick to surrender my heart, quick to recognize when I am more interested in some desire of my own than in what his desire is for me, and so that's my challenge for all of us today. Uh, as we think about Pentecost, as we think about Pharaoh, you know, the, the, the Israelites saw Pharaoh, They actually watched as Pharaoh and the enemies of God overplayed their hand and destroyed themselves. We get to see that too. We've seen it in politics. We see it um, throughout history. You'll see where the forces of evil will vaunt themselves too much and will bring about their own downfall. It happens frequently. So when you read history, you'll see this where if they had been satisfied, if they had been a little bit more content or more righteous or more compassionate or more merciful, they wouldn't have been destroyed. But because they had an insatiable desire to vaunt themselves, next thing you know, they are destroyed. And so I don't want to vaunt myself, but I don't want to also assume that I can't, that my heart will never harden. Because my heart can harden before God. And I don't want to get to that point. I want to be in a soft place before the Lord. And so this is the part no matter how we describe it theologically, this is really a rubber-hits-the-road moment for us in our faith where we say, how do I personally make sure that my heart is soft before my Creator? And so for myself, it means praying, it means staying in the Word, it means listening with compassion to what is happening in other believers' lives, and it's all of this, this fellowship, this prayer, reading the Word, and it's remembering what Christ has done for me. Let's pray. Father, I come to you today on the day that we celebrate Pentecost. And Father, I recognize that I individually, I need your power, your transformation, your Holy Spirit in me. And Lord, when my heart is hardened against you or against the world or against, even against other parts of the church, Lord, I need a new heart from you. I need my heart to be softened. I do not want to excuse or host or celebrate a hard heart. I want to seek you and to experience the, the, your, the power of your Holy Spirit And Father, I pray that for us as a fellowship, that each one of us here, Lord, from the youngest to the oldest, Lord, each of us, you're calling us and you're giving us opportunity to humble ourselves before you. Father, we want to have our hearts open to you. We want to be soft towards you. And the first opportunity and every opportunity after that, that we have a chance to submit ourselves to you and just have a soft heart toward you and to your word. We want to take those opportunities, Lord. So Father, I pray that you would, as a fellowship, give us that new heart, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, transform us, Father, and use us for your kingdom in your community here along the Front Range. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be exalted, Lord. And Father, we wanna be with you. We do not wanna be separated from you. But we love you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.